1 John 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. The one who does not love abides in death. <clears throat> this love that we are called to, the, the genuine true love is another sure marker that we are born again. As we alluded to earlier, that this is a necessity of the, the, the new life that we have in us. Inversely, this absence of love, if there is a complete absence, it's damning evidence that one is still dead in their sins, that one is absent from that life of God, that they do not have the work of the Spirit within them. And just as we have with that example of Cain, <clears throat> that we might... Uh, <clears throat> We have that example of Cain so that we might look and examine ourselves and say, am I like Cain? Do I see the, the righteous works which God is producing in another and am I moved to jealousy and hatred? Or am I caught up in my own pride and arrogance and self-righteousness? Am I so married to my pleasures, so married to satisfactions in this world? Am I like Cain? Am I like Esau? Am I like Ishmael? Am I one who would trade away the things of God for the things of this world and will despise the people of God because they have chosen the good portion? Because they are people of God. If that looks like me, then I can say I am not in. I am outside of Christ. If I am in Canaan's camp, I am not in Christ. The one who hates his brother is just like Cain. In verse 15 we have here, the one who hates his brother is a murderer. The one who hates his brother is like Cain. Cain's murder did not pop out of nowhere. It began with hatred. <clears throat> and as such hatred, we can view it the way we view lust. We see lust as adultery of the heart. Murder, or rather hatred, is murder of the heart. It's the intention of our heart. In essence, were it not for the common grace of God, when we are overwhelmed with our hatred, we would do it. We would actually go through with it. We would kill because of our hatred. Were not God's common grace restraining all, restraining all of man, and especially us as Christians, His grace restrains us from things such as that. <clears throat> We read here as well, there in verse 15, that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And that if our lives then are marked by hatred, if our lives are synonymous with hatred, we are murderers then. And that life of God does not exist in us. Those who live in this way show that they have not been born again. And we have many and myriads examples of, of what this looks like in our world today as the church has all uh, been dealing with since its, since its inception. Uh, today, there, there are many who will claim the name of Christ and will say that they are deconstructing or they're ex-evangelical or they're um, just shaving away things that they do not like. Uh, this is just another instance of liberalism rearing its ugly head. 
But not only those, there are, there are those who throughout the ages have persecuted the righteous, who have persecuted those who are God's people, who have done so claiming their own righteousness, thinking that they are doing something great. We think of the papist and the gallons and gallons of blood, the ocean's worth of blood that they have shed of martyrs. Think of the Marian martyrs. That not only are those who are of liberal persuasion uh, in this camp of Canaan, or Cain rather, but so are those who are all rather who are a part of the false religions of this world. And again, we, we can sum things down to this, that there are only two religions, the true and the false, the religion of love and the religion of hate. The religion of worship and service to God and the religion of worship of self. Thus far, we have dealt with the antithesis of this love. But in verse 16, we begin to look at what the, the great measure of this love is. Verse 16, by this, we have known love. That He, Jesus Christ, laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. <clears throat> Cain and those like him display for us that, that envy and pride and self-righteousness. But Christ, our Savior, displays for us that perfect, true, genuine, sacrificial love that He, the true God, the God-man, perfect, righteous, the Ancient of Days, Yahweh Himself, came to earth, became a man, lived righteously in our place to save us, undeserving, unworthy wretches. As Paul writes in Philippians 2, 6-8, through 8, who, although existing in the form of God, that He is God Himself, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped that is zealously held on to, but emptied Himself, yielded His freedoms, His free access to His divine attributes, and being found in the appearance, uh, by taking on the form of a servant and by being, uh, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And accordingly, we as Christians are called to model this same love, not to, to go to the cross as it were, but to, to deny ourselves as Christ who is perfect and holy, righteous God, having deserved all glory, all honor, and all praise, humbled Himself. How ought we to humble ourselves? He who is the glorious and transcendent God, who humbled Himself and took on humanity. Thinking of, of that, that, that is in and of itself shows so much the, the humility of Jesus Christ to who is God to become like us Wretched, finite men. And not only that, He didn't stop at becoming a man, but He lived a life of perfect, righteous obedience for God's glory and for our justification. And He went to the cross and died the shameful death of the cross 
in our place, bearing our shame. And he suffered there the wrath of Almighty God that we deserve to suffer eternally in hell. He was numbered with the transgressors, though he was righteous and holy and without blame and buried with the wicked in his death. For us wretched and vile, rebellious worms. That is the model of this love, this self-denial, this sacrifice of oneself. And since he who is God and deserves only the utmost praise and worship, humbled himself in this way, in service, in love, how ought we ourselves to act? How ought we to serve and love? We don't deserve anything aside from maybe the wrath that God rightly owed to us. We ought to humble ourselves as the Lord has instructed us to wash the feet of our brothers, to take on the, the servant's towel to, to serve all Christians. <clears throat> are we literally, uh, as, as might be implied here in laying down our lives for the brothers, are we literally to die for our brothers? Yes, and it, it's possible that it may come to that at some point. Yet, when we are not called to die for our brothers, that doesn't mean we're off the hook. Uh, laying down our lives does not have to mean to die. It, particularly, I think, in the day-to-day sense, has to do with laying aside our desires, our pride, our, our own will for the sake of others. We are called to give deference to one another. We're called to be gracious to one another, to keep no record of wrongs, to be sympathetic to the griefs and sorrows of our brethren, <clears throat> to look to the needs of our brothers, physical and spiritual, and to be generous to give to them for those needs, both spiritual and physical. Certainly much more can be contained in this as well than the list I give there, but the foundational idea is to sacrifice oneself for the sake of of the Christian brethren. And secondarily, to, to give for our neighbors. This means our gifts, our resources, our prayers ought to be given in this service. It's not limited to that, but they're much more so, those particularly. And this to be done in worship and service to Christ, our Savior for our love for Him and for our love for His people, His bride. <clears throat> and consequently, uh, particularly looking at verse 17, those who, who though are blessed with much in this world and yet withhold that from a Christian lacking the things that they need, are they themselves lacking in this genuine love? And if it's altogether missing... It's quite possible that they are not, they're, they're devoid of that love altogether and that they're, they're lacking that mandatory evidence of belonging to Christ. <clears throat> uh, we should read from verse 17 there, of course, the, the understanding here that, uh, of, of monetary blessings, of, of helping the physical needs of those who are hungry and are without, who are our brothers, uh, but much more so. 
Uh, we, we, we shouldn't necessarily read it just as that. Uh, additionally, we shouldn't say that, that one who is not blessed monetarily is somehow um, exempt, that they don't have to worry about giving. We are all called to generosity. We're all called to give to the brethren. And we are not always called necessarily to give monetarily. We are blessed with wealth far beyond the wealth of money as Christians. The elder Christian is obligated to nurture the babe in Christ. The mature Christian is obligated to bear with those who are immature and to disciple them. The strong is obligated to bear the burden of the weak. And we are all obligated to comfort our brothers grieving and dying. Therefore, our love is not to be shallow, so-called love of this world, the, the hot and cold, on one minute, off another love, the I'm not feeling it today kind of love, the I love you today but not tomorrow kind of love. As John says there in verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed in truth. Our love is not to be a love that that is simply contained in words and just heaping on the I love yous to somebody. James particularly speaks about this, saying that if one comes to you and is in need, and you see that he's in need, and you tell him just go your way, be blessed and be filled, what have you done for them? To the same degree, this love is to not be just a love that exists in words, just as James speaks of a faith that just exists in words or talk. But this love is to exist in actions. This love is to exist in deed. <clears throat> and to return again to the main focus of the sermon series, uh, the sermon series that I've uh, mentioned from the beginning here, <clears throat> when we first started uh, probably about two or three years ago now, uh, we, we look at verse 19 for that. <clears throat> Pardon me. Verse 19, by this we will know that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. That for the Christian, this should be, as we alluded to earlier, an evidence that we are in Christ. That if we see this love in us and this love is growing in us, and if we, uh, in our love for Jesus and and and, and for His people are living in obedience and love to Him and to His saints. We can be assured that we are in Christ. We can know that we have been born again. The world does not have these desires. The world does not have this, this drive. They, they, they don't care for these things. We used to not care for these things. Those of this world seek after selfish endeavors. All of us who are in Christ now, we can attest to that. We were there. Living out our days, hated by one another, or hating one another and hated by one another. But those who are of Christ seek for the good first of their brethren and to their neighbors. And though our love right now may be weak and is never perfect in this present world, we, we still yet have a desire for that perfection and we can see ourselves growing in that, that direction, that, that trajectory 
that as usually so often, we're always when we look at the, the matter of our progressive sanctification, it's a matter of trajectory. It's a matter of the arc and angle that we're seeing we're taking over time. It's not a I'm immediately there kind of thing. But it's a, I see that I am, by God's grace, on a, on a path to that perfection, on a path to <clears throat> that, fer, uh, that perfect sanctification that we know He will complete uh, when He calls us home, when we're with Him, when He returns. And so, to apply it to us, we, we can say to the weak brother or sister in Christ who is troubled in their soul, questioning, am I truly in Christ? I see that I don't love like I should. If you have this love in you, uh, a, a small amount, and if you see that there is a desire in you to love the brethren, to love Christ, to grow in that love, you can rest in Christ, abide in Him. You are His. You have been born again. You have been brought from death to life. Rejoice, rest, abide in Christ our Savior to the glory of God. If you find yourself entirely lacking in this love altogether, you are outside of Christ. But the day of grace is not past. It is not spent. There is time. There is is. Hope while you still have breath. Turn to Christ now. Trust in Him. Trust that His work upon the cross is sufficient for you, sufficient for me, and sufficient for as many as the Lord our God will draw to Himself. Turn now in repentance. Do not wait till tomorrow. Be born again. Know the true love that Christ has shown on the cross. Experience that love for yourself and show that love then in in response to the love that's been given to you. And brothers and sisters, if you are lacking in that love in any way, know you are not alone. We all do not love as we ought to. And let us repent together of that. Let us turn to Jesus as our Savior, the perfect model of that genuine love. Let us be astounded once again by His love so brilliantly displayed upon the cross. Let us be again astounded, awestruck by, by that, that, that God Himself would become a man, would suffer the, the, the <clears throat> pains and agonies that He never had to. He, was, he would have been perfectly right and just to leave us in our sins, to condemn us, to strike us down immediately. And yet He, in love, bore the cross for us. Let us in His mercy and grace respond in that with, with, with love, with obedience, with faith to Him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your grace and mercy. Astounding, immeasurable that, Lord, though we, wretched and vile man, deserving only Your wrath, that Adam so properly, so rightly represented us in the garden. And, Lord, that though we, grieving You by a thousand falls, 
Lord, we thank you that you in kindness came, that you in your mercy came for us, the wicked and wretched. Father, I pray for our lost friends, our lost neighbors, our lost family, that they would know that they would come to experience this love that Christ has shown to us upon the cross. That they would be born again, that they would know that love, and that they would then make that love known. I pray, Lord, for my brethren weak in the faith, that they, Lord, would know all the more the love and grace and mercy that Christ has for them, that they are not hanging by a thread, that they are not one minute uh, in grace and another minute out, that they are Christ now, that they are secured, that there is nothing that will snatch them from His hands, that there is nothing that will separate, uh, separate us from His love, that they would rest assured in His love, and that they would make that love known now. I pray for my brethren and I, erring so often, falling so often, that we are a people so fickle, a people so lacking in our love, that, Lord, we don't love You and we don't love our brothers like we should. We're prideful, we're arrogant, we're boastful, we're, we're greedy, we're selfish. And, Lord, destroy that in us. Lord, take and kill these sins in us. Purge us. Make us to look more like Jesus. Make us to love like Him. Make us to look like Him. Lord, may we be as You have called us to be, uh, the light of the world. May, Lord, as You have said of us, may, may it be known to the world that we are Christians by our love, by our love for one another. May we be known as the people of love, the people who love their own, who love their brethren, who admonish and instruct and help and teach and comfort one another. And Lord Jesus, we thank You for this love which You have given to us. You have shown us love. You have taught us love. And it is in Your holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.